Well, good morning. Uh, today we're wrapping up the uh, last part of this series that we're working on. And um, Pastor Peter started this series a few weeks ago talking about some of the illusions that are within the church. And two weeks ago we talked about how the church was commanded and is commanded to love one another. And last week we talked about the global church and how we as a, as a church cannot focus only inwardly. We need to make sure that we are also focused on the global church. That God didn't call us to be a church that just was concerned about the resources that are within our, our building here, but also concerned about how we can be um, a, a church, a body of Christ that is focused on reaching everyone in this world with the message of Jesus Christ. We saw last week that there are still billions of people, billions of people who do not know about Jesus, have never heard about him, and we need to be the ones to go. We said last week also that we, we need to have a mindset that says that we are a sending church. Because if we don't have that mindset, then it's going to be very easy for us to become inwardly focused. But if we have a mindset that says that we are a sending church, then this will then move us and help us to always consider how we can go and reach the rest of the world. So today we want to wrap up this series, or this part of the series, by talking about commitment and being committed to the very end. We need to not only think about this in, the, in, in terms of a year or in terms of a series, but we need to be thinking about this in terms of a life. Our entire life needs to be focused on how can we, how can we be a church that is always committed to taking the message of Jesus to the world. So today I want to challenge us on that end, to be committed to the end. Christians are sometimes like jellyfish. They look graceful, they look elegant and beautiful, but the problem with jellyfish is that they do not have a skeleton or a spine. You could say that a jellyfish lacks substance. Yet that doesn't mean that they don't sting. A jellyfish can sting, and some of you in the room know what that's all about. But jellyfish are swept around in the water by the current, and the reason that they can't swim against the current, the reason that they can't fight the current is because a jellyfish doesn't have a fin or a tail. And so whatever direction the current is going, that's the direction that a jellyfish is going. And far too many Christians, and I may even say far too many churches, are aimlessly floating around without being deeply committed to what Christ has called them to. Jellyfish Christians float from experience to experience, from program to program, because they don't have substance. They lack substance. And like with jellyfish, when they are swept up on the shore, they dry up and die. We do not want to be those kind 
of Christians. We do not want to be Christians like that. We do not want to be a church like that. We want to be committed to the end. We want to be committed to the long, for the long haul. If we are committed to the end, it will mean that we are willing to work together and we're willing to stick together and encourage one another because that is what we will need. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Paul is speaking to Timothy here and, and he's encouraging this young man and, and Paul is sort of the spiritual father. He's the mentor of Timothy. And Timothy's a young man and he's, a, he's maybe starting out in ministry. And so Paul is writing here to him. Now listen to the words that Paul gives to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Being committed to the end will require sacrifice. At times, it may even seem that it would be easier to just give up than to keep going. But we must continue on. So Paul says here to Timothy, be diligent. The word here, diligent here, it means practice. In the previous verse, verse 14, Paul said to Timothy, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So now Paul is saying to Timothy, put into practice this gift. Put into practice the gift that he has been given. Be diligent. He isn't just to sit down and use this gift for nothing. He's saying, be, put this gift into practice. The word diligent also means to put into, um, sorry, the word diligent also means to be attentive and persistent in doing something. This means we don't give up when things are difficult and we don't give up when things look like there's no hope. We remain diligent. We do something with the situation that we have. Why should we be diligent? Why should we give ourselves wholly to something? Paul answers that and he says, so that everyone may see your progress. Have you ever thought about the fact that the people in Leamington should be taking notice of what God is doing in our midst? Or that the people of Leamington are watching how we live and, and what we do with what God has given us? Christian ministry cannot avoid being in the public eye. Paul is expecting Timothy to make progress, so much so that Everyone will see it. I believe that the church must, be, must constantly be making progress. Last week we said that we must have a mindset that says that we are a sending church. So we need to work on it. This isn't something that we just want to say, you know, oh, and it sounds so good. We're a, we're a sending church. Our mindset is such that we are a sending church. We need to make progress on that. We need to make sure that we're working towards that and that people are noticing that we as a church are committed to this, regardless of what comes. The church needs to make progress in the area, in this area, where people, so much so that people take notice. The church must love one another with such diligence 
that people take note of it. This clearly means that we must do more than just love one another for a short period of time. That we must be committed to one another. We must love one another for as long as we can. For as long as God is using us here. Verse 16, Paul goes on and he says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Being committed to the end means not wavering in our beliefs. We are saying that when we say that we are committed to the end, that we will hold fast, we will hold on to the things that we believe. We will not waver from the things that we, will, we believe, not moving away from the things that we stand for, making sure that we as a church stay in line with what Scripture teaches. And Paul then challenges us to persevere in the gift God has given us, in the call that God has placed in our lives. If we are committed to the end, we will save both ourselves and our hearers. Commitment is such an important part. It's such an important part of seeing something through. You and I all know what it's like to be part of a team or part of a group of people where not everyone is as committed as they should be. Maybe you were in a school you know, project or something like that, and you sat around, and, and there's a group of you here, you know, you sat together, and, and you, you talked, and you agreed, and you said, you know, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and we're going to meet back in a week or two, and we're going to make sure that all these things are done, and then in two weeks later, you all meet back together again, and everybody's going through their list, did you do this, yes, did you do this, yes, and then there's that one person, there's that one person who didn't do what they committed to doing. And when that happens, it's not only hard or it's not only a negative thing for that individual. What that one person failed to do, that, that lack of commitment, now affects the whole team. And the same is true within the church. That when one of us isn't committed, that one of us, when one of us isn't committed to the end, it doesn't just affect that one person, it affects the church. Because being committed is a key to seeing something through. So I want to ask you a very simple question this morning. Are you committed? Are you committed to this church? And are you committed to the mission of this church? Leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's the church's mission. Are you committed to that? And are you committed to it to the end? Because there will be challenges, there are going to be struggles, there are going to be hardships. And one of the things that we must set in our hearts is that we will remain committed no matter what. We will follow through with the commands that Jesus has given us regardless of the struggles, regardless of the hardships that may come. There are many things that can keep a person from being committed and Kerry Newhoff wrote this um, article called uh, The Ten Reasons Why Even Committed Church Attenders Are Attending Church Less Often. And I know that what we're talking about here this morning isn't just about church attendance, obviously. This goes way beyond that. But I think this article will give us some, 
some insight as to why we may at times struggle to be committed to the church. And one of the most obvious ways it will show itself is when we are not committed to even regular attendance or faithful attendance. So let's go through these and see if you can see yourself in some of these because I think these may open our eyes a little bit to seeing this is maybe why sometimes we struggle so much with being committed. Number one, greater affluence. As people have more wealth, they have more options. And when people have more options, they're prone to use and take advantage of those options. And this is not good or bad. I don't want you hearing me talk about this list as if though somehow this is all negative. This is just simply the way it is. When we have more options, we're prone to use those options. So as a people and as we have more wealth, we have more options with technology. We have more options when it comes to traveling. And so it only makes sense that when we have more options, we will probably commit to more things. And this can affect, this can affect our commitment to the church. Number two, higher focus on kids' activities. A growing number of kids are playing sports, and, and often this requires travel. And again, we're not saying that's a bad thing. We're just simply saying that's the reality, that's the, the life that we live in today. There's a higher priority placed on kids' activities. And so this may impact a person's commitment to the church. Number three, more travel. More and more families travel for leisure. Even if it's just a short weekend getaway. But here's what you need to know. When they're out of town, they may very well not be going to church. I know for Maria and I, when when we travel, she's always like, man, we still got to go to church. Here's something you need to know about pastors. You see, when, when I as a pastor, when someone else who's a pastor goes to a different church, sometimes we just want the day off. We're just like, you know what, I don't want to go to any other church because when I'm at a different church, I catch myself just evaluating how things are done. So I'm like, man, I really like the way they do that. And, and man, we could use that. And that'd be a great. So really when I'm even on vacation, if I go to church, I'm not really Resting because in that place, I'm still always looking and evaluating how we as a church could do things here. But you see, as people travel more, often this results in them not attending church. Number four, blended or single parent families. Fortunately, more and more blended families and single parent families are finding a home in the church. And this is a good thing. This is a really good thing. The church leaders need to understand that when there's custody shared between two parents, that one parent may have that child in church and the other one will not. And so for that child, perfect attendance means that they're only in church 26 Sundays a year. So even though, the, you know, one parent takes that child to church every time, they have that child, that child is still only attending half the time. That's just the, re- the reality. That's the, uh, the, uh, the world that we live in today. Similarly, I think this is interesting. While those with more wealth will find themselves not being at church because they have resources to transportation, 
Very often, single parents struggle with an income, and so the very thing that, that provides you know, the resources that, that people with more wealth have, those that don't have wealth may not be a church because they don't have transportation. So there's this interesting twist. And so that's something that the church needs to be aware of. Number five, online options. Many church have podcast, video ministry, or other online options. We have a number of those ourselves. And so again, we're not saying these are good or bad. These are just this is the dynamic that we live in. So there are pros and cons, obviously, to having online options available. For, for some people, this draws them in. And so they, they may attend this church or they may attend a church based on what they see online. And so they watch sermons, they listen to sermons, they, they, they get a glimpse inside the building before they ever show up. And it actually draws them to church. But then the other side of it is that when people miss church, they're not too worried about it because, you know what, we'll just catch up online. And so online options are, are in a sense, keeping people from sometimes committing because there's like a backup plan in a sense. If I'm not here, if I'm not committed, I can just catch up what I missed online. Number six, and this is a big one, the cultural disappearance of guilt for many of you, if you are not in church, you feel guilty. But for a growing number of people, this is no longer the case. So if we're relying on guilt as a motivator to get people to show up, it's not working. And it won't work. We need a new strategy. So for example, if you're calling someone up and saying, man... You don't want to miss church because there's something really awesome happening. There's this really exciting thing going on. Make sure you don't miss church. This person would probably want to reply to you and say, I'm not really all that concerned because I'm already involved in something really exciting. And so I'm not feeling guilty about not being there because I have my own exciting thing happening. And so there's a disappearance of guilt when it comes to being at church or when it comes to committing to church. These are things that you and I are wrestling with. And I might just add, I, I don't think that guilt was ever a good motivator to bring people to church. But if we're, we're depending on guilt, if we're saying, you know what, you know, come on, you need to be at church because the Bible told you to, you should feel guilty if you're not at church. This is something that's fading. This is something that's disappearing. And so the church needs to make sure that they have a way to draw people in because guilt in itself doesn't work for a growing number of people. Number seven, self-directed spirituality. People are looking less and less to the church and leaders for help. People are not going to the church and the church leaders to help them grow spiritually. And they're finding other options for this. We live in an era, you know, before we're really hard on people who, who would go and find online resources to help them grow spiritually. We live in an era where if your child is sick, 
you probably, before you take them to the doctor, you will have Googled all their symptoms and you probably have a printout and then you go to the doctor and you say to your doctor, according to Google, this is probably what's wrong with my child. What do you think? And doctors don't like this. I found out with mine. They weren't too, he wasn't too thrilled. I remember him, he's basically like, come on, you're going to tell me that what you found on Google is supposed to compare to years and years of medical school and years and years of experience. But you see, just like we do it with physical health, when we have an illness or something, we, we search the symptoms and we try to find our own cures and we, we look to try to understand it. The same thing is happening with people and people are doing the same thing in the area of spirituality. And in some way, this is a really good thing. But obviously, there's also a, a, a negative or a downside to it. But it's just one more thing that keeps people at times from being committed to the church. Because why would I commit to a church? Why would I go to some place if I can find it for myself online? Or if I can understand it on my own? Why do I need a church why do I need to commit to a church if I can do this on my own? So in an age where we have access to everything, more and more people are self-directing their spirituality. And this again, like I said before, this is for better or for worse. And number eight, and this one really hits home to me. The eighth reason why people are attending church less and committing to church less is the failure to see a direct benefit. People make time for what they value. So even among people who say that they love their church, if the declining attendance is an issue, chances are it's because they don't see a direct value for them. In other words, this person saying, I don't see what it benefits me to commit. Why do I commit to something that I don't see a direct benefit for or a direct benefit from? If they don't see the value in being there week after week, why would they come week after week? If they don't see a value, a direct value in why they should commit to a church, they are not going to commit to a church. And so this whole area of saying, because they, there's a failure to see a direct value, and because they can't see that, they don't see the direct value for their lives, they just have made a decision to say, there's no reason for me to be there. There's no reason for me to commit to it. And I think this is an area where the church has much work to do. Number nine is when people value attendance over engagement. When someone merely attends church, the likelihood of showing up regularly or even engaging their faith decreases over time. So if this person just values just attending, I just want to go there, I don't really want to interact, I don't want to engage, I don't really want to be known, I just want to attend, that's just what I do. The chances of, the, of them committing for a long term decreases a lot. And so for someone who only values attendance over engagement, their commitment level is going to be much weaker. The most engaged people, the people who 
serve, the people who give, the people who invite, the people who are part of life groups are going to be the most frequent attenders and are also going to be the ones who are most deeply committed to the church. We must value engagement over attendance. And then number 10, the last one. There's a massive cultural shift. Love it or hate it, the times are changing. This isn't just some small change. This is a seismic shift in our church culture. Church leaders who fail to recognize this will not be able to change rapidly enough to respond to the shift that is happening. And there are so many things within the church. These aren't outside the church. These are things within the church that are changing rapidly. We don't really have time to you know, unpack all of that. But here's just a few. There's just there's the example that, that it used to be that when you opened the doors of the church, people came. You didn't really need to dress things up. You didn't need to really focus on how things were going to happen. You just simply said the doors of the church are open on Sunday from these hours to these hours, and people came to church. That's no longer the case. It used to be that when the pastor said something, people just assumed it was true. Again, for better or worse. So that when the pastor said something should be done or People, okay, if the pastor says so, then we'll do it. That's not the case anymore. There's a cultural shift within the church. I think this is something that everyone in this room has experienced in one way or another. And it doesn't help for us to say, you know what? Man, I wish that was the way it always was. It, it, that's not helpful because the times have Change. The culture within the church has changed. People are looking thing, for things in a different way now than they used to. And so we need to make sure that we meet those needs and face those changes. Again, like I said before, we're not saying that these are good or bad. This world in which we, this is the world in which we must share Jesus. We, we can't just sit and complain about, oh man, things are changing so much. No, we understand that. We all face that. But what we must do as a church in 2015 is we need to find a way that in the culture that we're in today, in the, in the changes that are happening today, how do we still bring Jesus to people? I think that when we look at the New Testament in the book of Acts, at the Council of Jerusalem, there you would have found a church that was suddenly faced with a massive seismic cultural shift. You see, the, the people in Jerusalem would have most likely assumed that, that Christianity was for Christians, I mean for, for Jewish people. 
And so all of a sudden they had a dilemma because what happened was the Gentiles became Christians and, and Gentiles didn't know about circumcision and, and didn't know about some of the food that wasn't supposed to be eaten and, and all those kind of things. And so suddenly there's, there's this dilemma within the church. There's a cultural shift. We now have people who believe in the same Jesus, who follow the same Jesus, but don't necessarily carry all of the same values and cultural significances. And so the church had to make a decision. What do we do with these people? And you'll remember that the decision that they made was that we will not make it difficult for those who are coming to Christ. That's a huge, huge decision. Kerry Newoff wrote this. He said, change is unkind to the unprepared. So let that sink in for a moment. Change is unkind to the unprepared. So sometimes I think when we, we talk about changes, we need to change our, maybe our way of wording things. We, we could maybe say, no, we're not changing things, we are preparing. We're preparing for what's coming. We're preparing for what is happening. This isn't a change. No, we are simply preparing because if we do not prepare, change will be very unkind to us. And so with all these changes, with all this stuff that impacts our commitment, or I should say that can impact our commitment, I think it's all the more important that we as a church commit and that you and I as individuals commit to what God has called us to for the long haul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says this of his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who long for his appearing. Was the journey easy for Paul? Absolutely not. Were there obstacles and challenges that Paul needed and changes that Paul needed to make over the years? Absolutely. Paul experienced many, many moments in his life where he had to make changes. Many, many obstacles over the course of his ministry. But Paul is committed. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now he is ready to embrace what God has in store for us, for him. We must be a church that isn't just excited about multiplying this year. We must be a church that says we are committed to the end. That we will serve Jesus regardless of the obstacles. We will serve Jesus. We will be committed no matter how hard it gets. And some of the tension that we may feel at times isn't necessarily going to be from without. It may be from within. 
But no matter the changes, no matter the shifts, you and I must decide that we will remain committed to the end. So that one day we too can look back on our lives and say, I have finished the race. And now I go to prepare. I mean, I go to receive what is prepared for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for Paul and for the challenge that he gives us. And my prayer, God, is for each one of us that we would remain committed to the things that you have called us to. That we would be faithful with the gift, that we would do much, that we would be diligent with the gift of salvation that you have given us. That we would not give up. That we would commit ourselves to this, to the end, regardless of what may come, regardless of the hardships that we may face. Lord, my prayer is that each one of us and that we together as a church would remain committed to fulfilling the call that you have placed on our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.